Welcome to another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise Peck, best-selling author on the topic of love, personal one-on-one love and life coach. And through this podcast, I bring you a diverse range of love stories. We speak to people who really believe and feel that they have the love that they want in their life. And we unpack we unpack their unique story of how they came to have that love in their life um, and what their insights and wisdom is on making love work and keeping that love once you've attracted it in. So today is a really special story. It's a different story to one we've had on the podcast, which I'm really excited about. It's a story of finding love uh, with someone, you know, with quite an age gap, 24 years older, um, of how both of them just seemed to know so soon. There was like an undeniable connection and um, and their journey through that, through fertility um, struggles, having children, but ultimately just being so compatible that there was just so much love uh, through that journey that they continue to show up as a team, which made all of that so much easier. And then, and then eventually, um, her husband. Uh, gets early onset Alzheimer's and he is no longer with us. He passed a year and a half ago. So this is a story with, you know, the highs, the lows, all of the mess of life of how she came to have such a deep, rich, beautiful love and connection in her life, of how her mindset just of devotion and gratitude and growth. Um, Yeah, it's really profound. And of her journey of raising her son and her husband, the love of her life, um, having Alzheimer's. So, yeah, this is this is a deep one, and so much wisdom, so much insight, and honestly, such a depth of love that comes through this conversation. You can just feel that it's very like awe-inspiring. Uh, so I'm thrilled to bring it to you on this podcast. All right, and also Christina is launching a podcast soon, and it's going to be called. Brave Girl Tribe, a girlfriend's guide to the path less taken. So the path less taken is a bit of a theme in her life. And we discuss a little bit about theories around making relationship decisions from the left brain versus the right brain and and her thoughts on that. So there's a bit of uh, unpacking in there uh, if you have some questions and thoughts around how much do we go off feeling and the heart and the soul and how much do we go off the head. Uh, we have a bit of a discussion on that too. All right, enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise Peck. Today, I'm speaking with Christina Driscoll. Now, Christina is the podcast host of The Brave Girl Tribe, a girlfriend's guide to the path less taken. Her husband and the love of her life was 24 years older than her and he developed early onset Alzheimer's when their son was five. This is an unconventional love story and I'm really excited to be able to unpack it and bring another angle, another viewpoint, another perspective, another diverse story on love. So welcome Christina onto the podcast. Thank you Elise. Thank you so much for being here. I am really intrigued uh, and curious to learn way more about your story. So you're the, the, his, when you met your husband, he was 24 years older than you. How long ago was that? It was in 1999. Oh, wow. Quite yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so um, how long were you together before the Alzheimer's started developing? We were together gosh, for about, for about 10 years. Yeah. Before the Alzheimer's started to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, if we can go back to like, we're going to come in into the middle of the story, but for now, if we can go back to the start of the story, right before you met him, I would love that. Yeah. What was your mindset like right before you met him? Were you looking for love? Yes. I mean, I, I love that about your podcast too. You got it. Yeah. I just had to close the window. No worries. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, 
So I had been in a four-year relationship, had a boyfriend, but he really, I was 30. Um, he didn't want to get married. And um, I just realized that I needed to move on. We were living together. And so I bought my own home and I moved out and it, I, I but I also realized, um, I realized that a lot of when we meet somebody, it, it really does have to do with our mindset. And I think you could call it vibration. You can call it maturity. You can call it a lot of things depending on your beliefs. But I think that you really need to work on yourself first before you can meet the love of your life. I, I mean, truly, truly. Um, and I was really reading a lot of books on relationships and psychology and um doing even a course at church and at my, you know, and just really digging into myself and doing a lot of praying, a lot of meditation, a lot of quiet time and, and trying to, trying to become a better person and all around, all around. So I, people, some people say the best way to meet your, your person is through something that you love to do. So I signed up, um, I, I'm a hiker. I live in the Seattle area and then we have beautiful mountains, Mount Rainier, you may have heard of, it's a gorgeous, gigantic snowy mountain. Um, my, my husband was leading a hike on Mount Rainier through a hiking club, because this was before the internet, well, sort of before the internet, um, cell phones didn't exist, that kind of thing. So I signed up for his hike and um, showed up at the trailhead and our eyes met and I've never had this happen before or since, he had these beautiful blue green eyes and there was just this instant connection really strong. And I was kind of blown away. Um, so, so I, because I think I had been working on myself and my confidence and all of that, I, and I was a financial advisor at the time. And so, so was he, and I was like, well, I'm going to get right behind him in line so that I can get to know him. So, um, and that was something I wouldn't have done in the past. And I thought, you know what, there's nothing wrong. If this person is, seems interesting to me, um, I'm curious, I want to meet him. So I got, you know, when we were hiking, I got behind him two times, two different times so that I could have some conversation with him. And it was like, we looked at the world the same way. It just seemed like foundationally we had a lot, we had the same values and we, I, I mean, for lack of a better word, we looked at the, the, the world the same way. So after the hike, you, you usually go to a tavern and get something to eat and drink. And we were seated far apart from each other. And I thought, wow, I thought we had a connection, but maybe not. And um, two weeks went by, two weeks. I'm gonna <laughs> and say, all of a sudden, so why did you think maybe we don't have a connection? Because you were seated because he went and sat somewhere else or yeah I mean we were at opposite ends of a big table because there were like 12 of us and I mean it was okay but and then I thought he would ask for my phone number yeah. um back you know and he he didn't and I was like oh well maybe we didn't maybe it was just me maybe it was just on my side but then two weeks later he called me up out of the blue and he said um, you know, we both work in finance and I would love to meet up with you and talk more about how, how about investing. So I, I was like, is this a date? Is this, is this a friendship? Is this like, what is this? <laughs> you know? And I wasn't, I didn't know how old he was. I thought he was actually 10 years younger than he actually was because I couldn't keep up with him. He was so fit, you know, <laughs> and he, he always was for his whole life really. So, um, and what I found out years later was that he became a stockbroker in the 1970s and they did something called Smile and Dial. They were handed a cubicle, you know, a desk, a phone book, mm. those big thick ones and, and a telephone. And they would pick up the phone and, and call, you know, it's called cold calling. They would cold call people and say, I have a bond or I have a stock. And he, he was very used to doing that his whole life. But when it came to calling me, he actually had my phone number already, which I didn't think of because he was the hike leader. So he had my phone number <laughs> already. How did he have your number? Well, so we were both in a hiking club and um, it was called the, it's called the Mountaineers. It's still around. And if you live in Seattle, it's a great hiking group to, and they have a singles group and it's a wonderful way to meet awesome people. So, um, yeah, so he, he, you know, he received a list of everyone's names and phone numbers because you have to meet up 
in a certain place. And so he has to, he, you know, he coordinates people who want to carpool. So he already had my phone number, but oh, he, he said he, in the group was he, he was kind of coordinating the group. So not everyone got everyone's number, but he, he had everyone's he number. He had everyone's number because he was actually the hike leader. Got it. Right. But what he said, what I found out much later was that he kept dialing my number and then hanging up for two, two weeks, two weeks. weeks. Were you getting any dial? Were you getting any, like, so this is the nineties. So it's not, a, <laughs> it's not a mobile phone. It's a, it's a landline. Were you getting these phantom? Did you, did you, did you notice any of these calls? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we had answering machines and there'd be like, like coming through and you were like, who is this? I, I didn't know. I mean, it could, it could have been a, you know, a telemarketer or whatever. I didn't think much of it, of it until the one day I, I picked up the phone and there he was on the other, other end of the line. Well, he was, he was, he was so familiar with just calling people all the time, but there was something about you that had freaked him out. He was yeah. So it was like the one, the one phone call he couldn't make, even though for years he'd been cold, cold calling, making lots of, so he really, yes. really had felt a connection. Yes. Meeting and did want to speak to you and just kept kind of working his way up to it until eventually <laughs> he catches you on the phone. Did you catch during that phone call that he was nervous? How was that phone call? No, he didn't sound nervous at all. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. 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 So he he finally calls you and for you it's been two weeks that you've speaking to him and what's that phone call like for you? It was wonderful, but a little bit confusing because he didn't make it sound like a date. Like, I think this was his way of kind of feeling out the situation. So he just said, I would like to come pick you up for dinner and like, let's talk about finance. Like that was his line. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, you're calling me. I'm coming to hang out with you. There's a connection between us, but we're just talking about finance. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it was like a job proposition. He got you there on the idea of like, maybe we could collaborate in the finance world or something. Yes. Yes. That's exactly it. He said something yeah. like that. So I, I was like this, I don't know if this is a date, like this might become, this might just be a friendship, but I like this man so much that I'm, I'm thrilled to even just have, have him as a friend. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was my attitude. And then it was just no expectations. Just I really feel like being around this person. Yes. Yes. And so he picked me up at 6 p.m. And four hours flew by like he dropped me off. And I remember I I walked into my home and it was 10 p.m. And it just went by like that. Like it was just like no time had passed. And we were just talking nonstop the whole time. We had so much to connect on it was just it was amazing and then he was like well we should go on a hike so I was like okay you know like we can do a hike and then then he was like well let's go to a play and I'm like okay you know <laughs> <laughs> and then finally he kissed me and then I realized okay he, he maybe is you know looking at this like I have been like like it's 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 a little more than a friendship here <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever felt this sort of connection before, like the catching of the eyes at the hike, the no. um, effortless four hours of conversation? No. The, no. Uh, I don't know what this is, but I just want to be around this person. So this was the first time uh, and, and you believe that it came into your life um, after you've done quite a bit of work on yourself. Yes. Because the reason I ask this is I see so many schools of thought out there and I really believe that we're all just walking each other home. I really believe everyone is still figuring it out. So even people with really strong views, um, that's still just based on what they have. Like there's no way that every person can know everything. There's just too much to know. Correct. I never kind of take someone's extreme or whatever set view as the view. I'm like, that is another data point. <laughs> and I'm still, yeah. we're all, all still learning. And I see two really extreme views out there. One is, like love is um, a business contract. It's very intentional. It's all left brain logic. You just, is this person a match? Da, da, da. It's like a business decision. And then the other is like, oh my gosh, I totally left, let go of my left brain. <laughs> I totally let go of the logic. I just felt and I didn't know and I let go of expectations and I just went with it. I let it unfold. So you have like on one side, like this extreme, just 
the body or the soul or the nervous system, something is deciding. And then on the other side is um, the head is deciding. And I wonder sometimes, this is what I'm wondering, if the people in the head camp have never felt, uh, it's like that saying, if you don't believe in magic, those that don't believe in magic will never experience it, have never felt that connection with someone. So they're like, no, like, of course they're gonna say it's only brain because there's no embodied knowledge of anything else. Um, like, would you say that, I guess, meeting someone and there being this unexplainable connection changed your view on what is possible and and what is out there like would you have believed it was possible before that moment happened for you no no I would not have believed it was possible before that and for me it you know to to just be really blunt about it 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 wasn't even a like a sexual thing it wasn't like this you know a physical thing it was I don't I don't know how to explain it it was just a connection it was a very strong connection and I'd never had that before um and I wouldn't have believed it until it happened to me yeah it was like a, a pull yeah yeah mm -hmm. wow, I love that I, I just want to highlight that point because I think um there might be people out there that have never felt that level of connection before uh, and if you were someone that said, no, I felt it 20 times in my life, they'd be like, okay, well, this is like this girl's thing. But I think it's a really cool thing to listen to someone saying there, there could be this thing for you out there that defies logic. Um, if you go ahead and do a whole bunch, like if you actually meet yourself and do some work on yourself and, and start doing, as you've said, activities that light you up for you, I call that alignment. One of my biggest things is, um, when you're out there doing what you love because you love yourself um, you'll meet the people that are most satisfying for you to interact with. It's like you're showing up as you, so finally you'll get people that are going to love you for you. And so that thread is really in your story. I liked hiking. It was something I wanted to do. And I went out and did stuff that I enjoyed. And you said people have said to you, people tell me that through hobbies that you enjoy. So that that is something I encourage clients to do, and that's something you've gone and done, is you weren't going like um, as, a, as a singles mixer. It was like, I'm actually going to enjoy that thing. Um, yeah. and so that's how you've met. So I just want to capture this. I just want to open up anyone's mind that has not felt something a little bit mystical or outside the realm that, um, it's not like there's, because another school of thought is that people with, um, secure attachment only decide logically and people with, and those people say that people with broken attachment feel something magical. And I want to highlight that, no, like the same person can never feel something magical their whole life. It's not like there's people that are just magical. The same person can just feel something really, really, in, you know, logical and then open up this world of feeling a deep connection. And maybe the people that only think you decide with logic, they just literally have never felt that. So I just kind of want to open up the conversation, the possibility in your story of if you're not yet aware of this feeling of, wow, like when you know you know or the lover has no choice or a deep connection, um, it could be that that it is possible and you just haven't felt it yet. Uh, and people will keep saying, do what you love, go out, do the activities and, and do some inner work on yourself. And then people have these moments. So thanks, Christina, for letting yeah. me um, kind of unpack that that part of your I story. know. I think you, you, uh, you summarized it beautifully. Oh, good. <laughs> Great. I'm glad that it's a true reflection of your experience. Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he calls you at two weeks, you hang out, and then he invites you to the financial talk and then the hike and then a play, and then you have, you, you kiss. Mm -hmm. um, and it's in that moment that you're like, oh, this is dating now. Yes. Yeah. And so what happens next? Well, I mean, again, I would have never predicted this or this was just so out of the box for me, but um, we had our first date at the end of August, 1999. And uh, by the beginning of October, he was talking marriage. <laughs> well, let me correct you. Let me correct you here. The first thing he said to me, I, I was living probably a 45 minute drive from him. So we were just in different parts of Seattle, basically. And uh, he said, why don't you move in with me? And I said, nope, been there, done that. <laughs> so what, October, he was talking marriage. When was the month that you met? So we met the end of July on a hike. Oh, and yeah. then two weeks later, in mid-August, we had our first date. 
Well, so maybe it was a little more than a month. It was towards the end of September, beginning of October that he, he first brought up like, oh, why don't you come live with me? You know, come live with me. And I said, I spent four years with a guy. I, I know what I want. I want to get married and I want kids. And, um, you know, like, and uh, so I said, I, I, I will not move in with you unless um, you want to get married because I just, I just was, I, I'm not against living together. It's not, I, I am not, but I think, I think you have to be honest with people about what you want and you, you should do it fairly soon. Um, not on the first date, obviously, but you should do it fairly soon because, um, you know, if they're not on the same page, then everybody needs to move forward and onward, you know, in their separate directions. So then he came back two days later, he didn't say anything much. He, but he came back two days later with a ring, an engagement ring, a diamond ring. <laughs> two days My later. house. So you yeah. said, oh, I won't move it unless we're married. He's like, okay. Wow. So he, he, he just knew, like he was so clear. And you know, Elise, he had never been married before. He was 55 years old. Wow. He had never married. And it, it, you know, that was kind of interesting too, because, um, well, and it got a little awkward just because, <sighs> I, again, I mean, this was, I changed a bit. I was in my early thirties. I realized that maybe my parents weren't as dumb as I thought that they were <laughs> and that maybe they would, they, they, I felt like I needed their, I wanted their, um, you know, their input on bill. And so I sent him packing up to Vancouver, BC, where I grew up alone. I sent him up there to your parents. <laughs> to my parents because I was I was very very busy in my career and I couldn't get away and I yeah. said you know you've given me this beautiful diamond but I don't I don't feel like I can 100% accept it I want you to meet my parents and I want to discuss it with them which was again which was nothing I never behaved that way before and he he went up to visit his aunt and uncle right near the Canadian border and he said he couldn't sleep all night he was up all night and when he woke up in the morning, there was a sweet note from his aunt. And she said, it's going to be okay. Just be yourself. Let them lead. Let them talk. And you've got this, you know. And he went up there and they loved him. And that night, my mother, I, I talked to her and I said, but but he's, I think he's a lot. Well, I, I knew that. He, he's 24 years older than me. I said, this is, this is why I really want your opinion. My mother said, if, when you find love, you find it. And do not, um, she said, you may have friends who lose their husbands before you do. This is love. This is a great match. Don't worry about the age. And I feel I, I don't have any regrets about marrying Bill. I have zero regrets. You know, I think when you find somebody to love, you find them. There might be a big age gap. There could be all kinds of differences, but you just know. Wow, this is a really powerful story. So yeah, you're kind of, what are you, 29 or 30 at that point? Um, and you find yourself for the first time ever thinking, what would my, what, what's my parents' advice? Um, yeah, and so they said, I, I love this guy's certainty. I love how he just, he just knows and he's like, uh, and did he explain to you how he went from like never wanting to be married in his life to suddenly just like immediately wanting to marry you did he ever explain that process to you a bit a bit i mean he well i mean and i i did ask his his family he he was the oldest of four and very close family i'm still close with his family to this day and um you know they told me that he was he was just so incredibly picky um I, he just didn't meet the right one he told me he hadn't met the right one and he wasn't going to compromise. <laughs> and did, how did he know that it was you? I think, uh, I mean, I, I know I checked bo boxes for him, you know, I mean, there is a rational part to this too, you know, um, he didn't, he, he wanted someone who, who was intelligent and who who came from a good family and um he he it was it was interesting because he asked me many many questions about my family like not just my immediate family but like my grandparents and because to him that all of that legacy and uh, that that sets the tone that sets the tone going forward in marriage too so it doesn't have to doesn't have to but 
it, it's a pretty powerful force, right? You know, so I think he he wanted to know a lot about my background, and there are a lot of really strong people um, in my family, and and so you know that's a whole nother podcast episode. But my dad was, you know, uh, born in a little country called Estonia, and and had to move four times during World War II growing up, and you know, very ended up in Canada. And it's just a very he's you know a lot of strong people. So I think once he I think I checked off a lot of the, the characteristics that he was looking for. And um, I don't even know. I don't know. Like, I think he felt like I did. It, there was there was a certain irrational part of yeah. this whole equation as well. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I love this. Okay, beautiful. This is a good balancer because we've had like a very rational um, attachment uh, specialist on. And I think... Um, it's good to balance. It's it's good to um, to sort of have a lot of different views so that we get a, full, a, full, a fuller picture of love. Um, yeah. So you, you you get the your family's blessing. You get married and you have um, ten years of marriage. Is this and you have a, a son together? Is that um, yeah yeah yeah? So I mean, there's there's quite a bit in between there, but we probably. Um, can't really go there very much, but, but I do want to say, like, I look back on it and I'm really impressed that his family opened me with like welcome arms because I mean, think about it. Like there's a big age difference. And I mean, we got married within six months. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we got married January 15th of the year 2000, just a really small wedding with our families. And, but his family was wonderful. They completely welcomed me with open arms and we wanted children. And again, that's like a whole nother story. We actually had a lot of infertility. Um, so we had three years of infertility and um, that was a struggle. Like we, but we, we started looking into adoption. Um, we were actually working with an adoption attorney, whether it be at home or from abroad and decided we would do that at the same time as fertility treatment. And ironically, uh, my husband's mother also had Alzheimer's. So she, she had, um, when I met her, she already had Alzheimer's. Um, I had gone through my fertility treatment and in fertility treatment, what they do is they they do a blood test. So they can tell really, really early whether you're pregnant or not. And we did the fertility treatment. A couple of days later, she actually passed away, my husband's mother. And on the day of her funeral was the day that they told me to come in for the blood test. And during the funeral, this was, you know, we had a, we had a flip phone cell phone with us the phone starts ringing we step out and we hear congratulations you're pregnant well what a day a day yeah yeah what a day yeah so you know that um fertility is something that's kind of i'm connected with people i know how incredibly difficult that can be for people yeah uh, I, I was speaking to a friend a couple of weeks ago about um, her IVF journey and wow, it sounds brutal. It sounds really a very big emotional roller coaster of uncertainty and it's you're putting a lot of money and time and energy and effort into this thing and you just don't know if it's all going to be for naught. Um, it sounds really challenging. So, um, yeah, it was... How, how did you figure out, was, was it easy to kind of, well, not easy, but was that early compatibility, did that shine through during like, did it turn out that you were compatible to move through those challenges together or did you have to really yes. learn a lot about? Um, no, no. Um, that always amazed me about him too. Like people kept telling us the first year of your marriage is the hardest. Like you just clash a lot. There's a lot of things to work out. It wasn't that way at all, but I'm telling you, here's part of, this is some of my theory here. He was the oldest of four children. 
They grew up in, he grew up in Wisconsin in a tiny town. His father was a dry cleaner. Um, it was, it was tough financially. Like they had one, one bathroom in the house, you know, six people. He had to work his way through college. He had a hundred percent pay his way through college. He, nothing, he, he had to be a very selfless person. Like he couldn't be, you can't be selfish when you live in a tiny house with six people. Right. And I think, um, I think that that humble background is, it really makes you a wonderful spouse um, because he was, he was so easygoing and, you know, thing, little things didn't bother him. And um, I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. And I think if you come from a lot of privilege, uh, it can be harder in a marriage. It can, because you're expecting this and this and this, but he was, he was just easy. He was easy to get along with. Mm. Which is fascinating considering he'd never been married. Um, so he's, I know. He hadn't been I broken in. <laughs> like he hadn't I know. You. They, they often say if you've spent too long living alone, like you'll really get set in your ways. It becomes hard and harder to get that team mentality. Um, so that's fascinating that to get into your mid-50s, not married, and then you're just so easy to be married to. is That's an interesting combination. Yeah, and I think I think we, I was pretty good about like setting, like for me, I've always had a very strong connection with God or spirit or whatever you want to call it. And, and I said to him, like, this is spirituality in my life is very important. And I, at that, you know, at this time I was going to this particular church and I said, I'm, I go to church. Like, I don't mind if you come or don't come, but like, don't, if you ever try to tell me like, you know, don't go to church or I don't like your spirituality or I don't like your beliefs. I said that that's a no-go for me like that, you know, so I was very clear in what I wanted and needed. And I think that helped too. And I think he was very clear in what he wanted and needed as well. Um, yeah, the infertility journey, it went really, really well. I mean, at one point he was kind of freaking out about the um, providing a pr providing his his contribution we'll say in the clinic. Mm -hmm. And so um, they actually gave us a tour of the infertility IVF clinic. And um, we had this really lovely gal and she was just so, so much into fact. And this was 20, you know, well, 19 years, 20 years ago, almost now. And it was, it was, it was more out there back then. Nowadays, it seems like everybody does IVF, but back then, not very many people did. Mm -hmm. So, but she was just walking around very businesslike, you know, and at one point my, my husband said, well, well, what's your job? She said, I'm, I'm the sperm washer. And he said, excuse me. <laughs> she said, I'm the sperm washer. I, I take all, all the sperm and I, find the good ones. And I put them over here and then I, you know, add the egg. And then I, you know, and she was so matter of fact about it that by the end of the tour, he was like, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> like this is just everyday business for everybody here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She was so neutral um, and not like awkward about it. Just easy about it. Yeah. Right. That, it kind of brought him into that, that frame. Like this is normal. It's all good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Okay. So it sounds like from what I'm hearing, you didn't have, a power struggle you had you know uh, is it is it fair to say that you had a good a really beautiful marriage and then the alzheimer's came along is that yeah yeah like um when i finally got pregnant um his mother had passed away as we just discussed and we decided actually to move to a smaller community in oregon um for a little bit better weather and wanted to be in a smaller town and um so that's where our son was born. And yeah, I mean, like uh, you're a mom too. So, I mean, it's definitely obviously a big life change, but I think for us, again, it's a little different when you're older and, or you've been trying for a really long time. You are, yes, being a mom is incredibly hard, but the same thing we were just beyond, we were just thrilled beyond measure to have our son. Mm. So, you know. Um, we, we were definitely a team. In fact, I was talking to somebody yesterday, I think, and I said, uh, actually, I think he, he, he changed more diapers than me. He was really into it. He was hands-on. Mm. So he sort of went from not having a plan for marriage and babies to meeting you and like immediately wanted it. And really, and then it was a challenge. It didn't happen immediately. And it was, and so by the, by the time he got this, um, beautiful boy, uh, he was just like, oh, it's so grateful because 
it had been, a, I guess, a bit uncertain for a bit. Yes. Yes. Journey. It's a long time to not know yeah. if will happen or not. Um. Wow. And then so he, you were both very devoted parents. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. We were both very devoted parents. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we did actually try um again but you know i uh, ivf is very hard on your body and um so we tried a few years later it didn't work and we just kind of accepted you know some people they'll say they would say to us wow you only have one child and we all would always say no we won the lottery <laughs> we have a child we were looking at none <laughs> we have one it's oh, great oh, <laughs> we're so parents beautiful. mission yeah. accomplished that's so beautiful what a great attitude and a great moment for us to reflect on just the miracle of life and how lucky we are to just have one or two or whatever we've got just be so grateful that that happened because it's a very 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 bonding experience to be able to create life with someone and I think um yeah we we can take that for granted sometimes Um, yes for sure that's a really beautiful moment to just sit in the gratitude of that. I love how grateful your attitude is with that. Um, just when you reflect on meeting him and having this beautiful team partnership and this beautiful energy around parenting and this beautiful energy with each other, do you have any particular tips that you would give people on how to get that level of love in their life? I, I think I think we had a lot of compatibility. So it just, it really goes back to that. I think our number, both of us, our number one favorite thing to do was go hiking in the mountains around Seattle. So I think that that was a big factor. I think that like when I talked about how we looked at the world the same way, um, uh, I don't know if it's political exactly, it's somewhat political, um, I, that, the same values, um, but again, I, I think, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I guess for uh, him, for him, the key was, um, he didn't, he didn't settle. He waited until it felt like, whoa. Yes. Right. Right. Or hundred percent. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about getting the right people, getting the right people together more so than yeah I think I I mean I guess I guess I would summarize it by saying I think there does have to be a certain level of compatibility like if you're too different Mm -hmm. it's going to be that much harder and even if you are different culturally I think that can be really challenging too you know like if you just come from really really different cultures now some people make it work like my brother's been married for 35 years his wife is from Japan um they've they've done great they've had a fantastic marriage um although she you know she basically became very Canadianized like she I think she adapted culturally a lot so yeah yeah so that that's my two cents in all that Beautiful. And then for you as someone who has loved someone and then watched them go into Alzheimer's, what are your insights or wisdom on that journey that that you could share with anyone that maybe is looking at the start of that or can't quite connect to that? What have you got to say on that experience? Oh, that's such a great question, Elise. Um, Well, for one thing, even when you're losing that person, um, the essence of who they are is still there. That will never go away. That will never go away. Mm. So, um, and it's, it's terrifying because he started repeating things when our son was about five. And by the time our, our son was about six, you know, uh, our son would be, like heating him a mic something in the microwave for lunch, you know, and and in some ways, I mean, a lot of people would have the reaction of, oh my goodness, your son had to go through so much, which he did. But I always told him, um, you know, the adversity makes you stronger. I said, all these things that we're going through with your dad, it's hard for you, it's hard for me, but we're growing and we're learning and you know, we're just getting stronger from all of this. And this is, this is, you know, this is life. Mm, So you just had like radical acceptance of the situation. You just adapted. 
Um, yes and no. I think I think it's there's duality when you're when you're dealing with the Alzheimer's journey. I think, uh, especially in the beginning, there was a lot of denial because I literally had a friend who was a nurse and her husband was a doctor, and she was like, you know, he he, you really need need to take him to the doctor, and you know, but but it's scary going to to get a, a diagnosis. Nobody wants to get a diagnosis, yeah. so you know there was a little bit of sort of, you know, putting that off for a while and then getting the diagnosis. And then, you know, I think a, a, a coping mechanism is denial. So there is some denial in there and that is part of the coping mechanism and that's okay. It's okay. And um, I think that's why I, I am starting, you know, my podcast, um, Brave Girl Tribe, because I think we are so much stronger than we realize. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I would never be able to do what you did because essentially from the time my son was six, um, I, I was a caregiver to my husband and my son. And, you know, and my, my son and my husband passed away a year and a half ago. So, and our son is now 18. So, but, you know, I, I would have thought I couldn't do it. And in the, in the early parts, it was, it was extremely challenging, but don't be afraid to get help, go to a counselor, talk it out, go to the doctor, do whatever you need to do. And I, I just slowly became a brave girl. I just slowly did it you know, over time. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to leave him. I wasn't, no, no way, you know? So I just had to figure it out along the way. And like what I said, there were, you, you can take breaks too, you know, like sometimes you go out to dinner with your girlfriends and, um, what you, you don't, I wouldn't talk about, about my journey very much because I needed a break from it. Mm. Uh, and how did you just have that absolute certainty and clarity that you were like ride or die? Like, you know, no matter what, um, there's no way I would, um, you know, leave this relationship or like how, I know that might sound like a really strange question. Um, but I imagine other people make a different decision. Um, yes. How did you have the clarity on like, I'm all in? Because I guess, again, <laughs> I'm different than your last guest. Um, I, I just believed that it was my path and my journey to, to learn and grow. And ethically, I just felt aligned and it was it was the right thing to do. But I, but it was a, a deeper sense of this is my path and I'm just going to embrace my path. I'm doing it. And I loved him so much. I I wouldn't leave him. There's just no way. Mm. That's so beautiful. So you bit by bit became this brave girl and you found a strength that you didn't know that you had until you sort of had, you had to have it. Um, and you had this process of denial, which you often just see with um, elderly people. They'll start to hide. Like if you're like, oh, you've asked me that three times or something, or you've repeated, you've already told me that story two times today. They're like, oh, uh, and then you can see them trying to, like, it's like they're aware that something is not functioning, but they want to hide it because there is the fear of getting a diagnosis because then you might be institutionalized or go into the system or seen as a number or seen as just not a functioning. Or even if, I don't know if he had a career at the time, but it might be then you got to grapple with the idea that you're no longer going to be able to be of service or show up to a job. Or I mean, do you have any thoughts or tips on how someone navigates through those early stages when the denial is setting in? You know, I know there's two kinds of spouses, I think, when it comes to Alzheimer's. There's the spouse that gets really angry and does a lot of correcting. Like, you, you already said that two or three times. But I always knew, even after he said something for the third time, that he didn't know that he just said it for the third time. Mm -hmm. And so I somehow could really relate with him. I could get into, you know, get into understanding him really, really well. And I didn't want him to worry. So I would just keep answering the question because I, I think if you just are, if you keep, and you know what happened is he didn't even realize 
how much he was declining because I hid it too. Cause I just kind of, I wouldn't say to him, you said that three times, I would just answer it and then keep going. Mm. That's how, I mean, I know some people aren't capable of doing that. I, I'm not sure how I was other than I related with him. I connected with him. I, I was like, if this were me, like, I don't know that I just said something three times. So why would I yell? Why would I get angry at him? He's not being difficult. He's not being, you know, a mean person. He's, it's just what's happening. Just embrace it. What I'm really struck with is by your capacity to love. Um, this is a real, this is a real like effortless, easy. It's like, it was easy for you to love him. Um, I wondered, were you always like that in relationships or was there something unique about this connection with him that just brought all this love out of you? Wow. Yeah, I would say I was more selfish before. I, I mean, maybe it was just a maturity thing. And I think when you have a child with someone, that changes everything too. The level of commitment goes up in most people. And there's just way more connection again, like even beyond. Well, they do say that a woman's brain changes in pregnancy from a me focus to a we. Like she gets new connections that make her more inclusive and yes. oriented. Um, yeah. What my husband said about me is I became way less, like I became way more nurturing and um, wow. warm and I would, and Yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with that too. I would say I, I wasn't like that before. Yeah, and you think the pregnancy, once you became a mom, you sort of softened up? Yes, I think so too. Mm, wow. And um, how did you know, like, did you just figure out how to support your son through that as you went? Was that a learning curve? With it? Yes. I mean, I somehow I'd, I'd heard some wisdom that, you know, when children are ready to talk about a subject, they'll bring it up. So that was, that was how I handled it. So I remember when he asked me like, what, what's like, I, 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 I started, I would bring it into the conversation. Dad has Alzheimer's. Like, this is just part of our life. Like, this is what he has. That's why he doesn't remember things like, so, and then, but there did come a day where he said to me, well, what does that really mean? And like, how long will dad live? And, you know, we just had to have an honest conversation. And because and, with Alzheimer's, it can be all over the map, how long someone lives. They can live three years or 20 years. It, it, it's just all over. So you don't really know, you know, you hope for the best. But, but so when my son asked me what was going on, I told him the truth. And, you know, and I said, we'll get through this together. You know, we'll get through this. Wow. Well, I mean, this is such a powerful story. I, I've just, um, I mean, your mindset, your ability to reach for gratitude and connection and love and the clarity and certainty. Yeah, this is, I'm finding it quite remarkable. Um, if people, you know, want to connect with you more, I guess they can look up your podcast that's launching. Um, the Brave Girl Tribe, A Girlfriend's Guide to the Path Less Taken. And I'll put that, the name of that, in the caption of this podcast episode so people can find that out. Uh, and will you be talking more about your, like, what, what's the plan with the podcast there? What, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hope to, to incorporate some aspects of my journey um, to inspire other people too. And um, maybe also be a bit of a, a community together because there there were times when I felt very alone in the journey um, because it's it's an odd place to be. You're married, but you don't really feel married, um, you know, uh, in later stages. So it's yeah, yeah. So that's you know I I but the thing is I think that everybody is brave in their own way and everybody has a story and I want to inspire everybody out there women out there and uh, hear their brave stories oh that's so beautiful and why do you call it the path less taken do you consider that other people thought you you must you should you should have taken a different path to the one that you chose like where do you feel like you have taken the less taken path what part of your story makes you feel like oh there's there's a lot of parts so we're not we're not really going to have time to get into that um 
But I mean, even just from the very beginning, if you think about the fact that I chose to date and marry a man 24 years older than me, that's a path less taken right there. <laughs> um, yeah, so there are many other parts to that where I, I have lived a life authentic to being me. So, and um, that, hmm? and would you recommend that to others? Yes, I feel like in today's world, especially, we're getting really caught up in the social media scene, and so like, oh look, um, this person's doing this and that, and this person has a perfect life. Now I need to try to imitate that, and we're almost losing our authentic self in that process because we're looking at what other people are doing and thinking, well, we're supposed to be doing that. Then we start worrying about what other people are thinking about that instead of just being aligned with what feels right to us. Mm. So it's been worth it for you. If mm -hmm. someone's listening going, yeah, but I'm scared because what if everything falls apart? What if, you know, I take a path that is too confronting and then like my career falls apart and all my friends don't like me and da da da. Um, would you say it's worth it to take that risk? Yes. I mean, why is it that the hardest things in life are the most beautiful, <laughs> you know? I mean, but it, it does seem to be that way. Like so often, I mean, they say at the end of your life, like you don't regret the things that you didn't do. You regret, I mean, you regret things you didn't do. You don't regret the things, you know, be taking the safe way. It seems like you look back on the things where you took a risk that, that, and even if you fail, you're still glad that you took that risk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you would just say, just do it. <laughs> I would, I would. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and if you want more info on the path less taken, that's another podcast that you and I can sit down together and go through some more details on, on the later parts of, of my marriage and the passing of my husband, which was just kind of amazing in its own right. Um, and the things that, 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 that we, we were, you know, I think, um, it, I thought it was going to be incredibly difficult and it was, but um, I just, I, 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 I was able to get comfort and sort of a deep conviction of still being connected to him. So, but that's like, that's another podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to do a part two. Um, I'm, up, I'm up for it. So um, as we wrap up now, is there anything that you want to say about getting the love that you want um, and keeping the love that you want. So for people listening, anyone that wants to get and keep the love that they, they want or just to get more love in their life, have you got any anything to say on that that I haven't yet asked you about and you haven't had a chance to say yet today? I'm just going to rephrase it. I think it all starts with you and working on your own, trying to 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 grow, trying to grow. And being, and maybe that's what was attractive to me, uh, for him to be attracted to me. It was that I had a growth mindset. I was really working on myself, and I think we all we all need to do that. And um, if you're single, what better time to be working on yourself? And can I just clarify? Because sometimes um, people here work on yourself as I need to become more like. Kim Kardashian or something. I become more like, oh. does that mean I need to look more beautiful? Does that mean I need to become more successful? Like what does working on myself really mean? What is wow. I am, I am so glad you asked me that Elise, because yes, everyone out there is going to be like, Oh no, I have to be like Kim Kardashian. Yeah. No, no, that was actually not what I worked on at all. It had nothing to do with how much I weighed, what I looked like my career, it had nothing to do with any of that. It had to do with me asking myself who I really was, what was important to me, what my values are, and um, working on my interpersonal skills. I mean, if you wanna have a good marriage, you've gotta have those good interpersonal, you've gotta have good listening skills. So it was all about developing the emotional side of me. It had nothing to do with those other things. But I'm glad you asked because you're probably right. People would be like, oh yeah, well, I better go out and get my hair done. <laughs> a classic a classic mistake I see people make is they focus on becoming more impressive than, oh. becoming, uh, than, than developing their ability to connect. 
And I think the work is really in your ability to connect. And that starts with, as you've said, knowing yourself. So it's a self-discovery. Who am I? Because I can't share my needs. I can't connect with someone until I've connected with myself. So it's you've got to go and connect with you and learn who you are and then bring that and the, the, the way that you've taken the curiosity and the love and acceptance and, um, yeah, the discovery of yourself. Now you can then have that overflow out to other people. That's, that's really what I see as the work is you don't need to become more and more impressive. It's more about, as you said, the interpersonal skills, which really starts with knowing how to connect to yourself and therefore how to then connect with someone else because no someone can't feel connected with you if they feel like nobody's home there's nothing there so you need to in yourself and then bring that so one last thing i would say to add to that is confidence i really worked on my self-confidence and loving myself and what does that mean to you because uh, and then I'll then, then we'll wrap up. But on all these things, I like to just get clarity because I, I, I see confidence as a comfort with oneself. And I notice yes. other, other people see confidence as kind of like a superiority. I oh, wow. So what does wow. confidence mean mean to you? Confidence means being comfortable in your own skin in any situation. So if you meet somebody who's living on the streets, you are, you are friendly and kind to them. Or if you meet the King of England, it's now the King, right? Uh, you yeah. are, you, he's not, he's not better or worse than any of us. We are all equal and uh, lovable. And, and it's just interesting. Cause I think when you don't have self-confidence, um, it's almost a, you almost come from a place of, of, well, you're not able to give as much of, of yourself right? Because you're so worried about everything. When you have confidence, you can kind of let go and just love. Oh, so confidence is the ability to love. Yes. Because you're making it more about the connection than what people are thinking about you. Yes, exactly. Mm, Beautiful. This has been really, really, really powerful, Christina. Are there any (laughs) final words before I say bye-bye? No, Elise, I feel like you just pulled it all out of me you know like a magician (laughs) it's my favorite one of my favorite things to do is unpack people's minds especially when it comes to their love story so thank you I'm glad that I pulled it thank you for being a willing participant for me to extract your wisdom out of you absolutely and it's um a great gift that we are able to have your mindset and your love story unpack for people to hear and to connect with. It's it's a beautiful gift. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Elise. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, me too. My absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining another episode of Love with Elise Peck. I really enjoyed that conversation. I enjoyed the clarity on what is the work, what is the work that we need to do to get us more love and how it's not about becoming more perfect. It's about understanding yourself more and understanding how to connect with others better. Uh, I loved that discussion. I also loved the unpacking of a path less taken. Um, the endorsement of living a life true to you and that it is worth it and the reminder of it's often the things that we don't do that we regret it's the what ifs Um, so just a lot of wisdom there and really a, a beautiful beautiful story of love of loving someone's essence uh in truly you know for better or for worse in sickness and in health right um it's a true story of that and of parenting and making it work um, and really going with a strong connection even when it is a path less taken um, just really trusting yourself so that was a really incredible conversation I loved Christina's energy her insights her mindset Um, and if you'd like to connect with her more I've popped her um the name of her podcast in the show notes in the caption and keep a lookout for that keep your eyes peeled for that to come on out the pathless taken you know a podcast about essentially living a life true to you which i really resonate with um you can also find christina on instagram i'll put a link to her instagram in the show notes too 
If you'd like to learn more about me, Elise Peck, you can head to elisepeck.com. And um, yeah, there you'll see that there will be a button for a free one-on-one strategy call if you'd love to take your love life to the next level. Um, And there's also a button book now where you can book in a podcast interview if you or someone you know has a story of love, an incredible story of love, that would be great for us to all take wisdom from and inspiration from on the podcast. Please recommend that they head to the website and book in their podcast interview too. All right. I look forward to connecting with you on another episode of Love with Elise Peck very soon. Bye for now.